Welcome to season five of Blackness in the Workplace, the podcast. I'm your host and founder of Blackness in the Workplace, Jessica Parm. And I am here to say that our voices as black professionals matter, our lives as black professionals matter, and our experiences, they matter. Here at Blackness in the Workplace, we are gonna do what we've always done. And that is of course to center, promote, and build and support the needs of black professionals both inside and outside the workplace. And we will continue this work unapologetically. I'm very excited for this season. We got some great content. So thank you for being with us and let's get started. Welcome back everyone. Again, my name is Jessica and I am here doing our HR behind the scenes part two. Really excited about this um, series talking with HR professionals in a variety of different disciplines within HR as we go deeper and talk about, you know, what is HR, what isn't HR, HR, DNI, like all sort of things. So I'm really excited about this topic. I'm also really excited about my guests. I'm always excited about all my guests. So <laughs> I always say that, but I, I really like everyone that I bring on my show. So I have with me Jonathan Dumas. Jonathan is the founder and owner of Common Culture Coaching and Consulting. He brings his creativity and charisma in his coaching, consulting, and facilitation. He specializes in helping leaders eliminate the line between their work self and their personal self in order to be their full, authentic selves in both. He holds a master's of science in organizational psychology with a focus on diversity and leadership and is passionate about empowering leaders to create equitable spaces for those around him. Over the last decade, Jonathan has coached and consulted leaders in higher education, nonprofit organizations, and for-profit organizations on creating sustainable and thriving cultures that encourages diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Um, Jonathan is also a fellow podcaster. He has a podcast called Real Talk with Dumas, where he has meaningful and substantial conversations on society and culture. So again, really excited about having Jonathan on. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you for being here. Hey, Jessica, how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. A little fun fact, I started listening to your podcast like a year or two ago. And I, uh, the, from the moment I heard it, I was like, one day I'm going to be on this pod. So like, this is almost <laughs> like a dream come true. So yeah. thank you so much for having me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being a follower. Yeah, we are, our, our base is, 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 is growing. It's, it's always growing and people always give me good feedback. So I'm really, really grateful to be able to do it and also to have you on the podcast. So Jonathan, you know, I really like people to introduce themselves and just talk about, you know, where you're from and your career path leading up to this point and then we'll go into our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love this question. Um, so uh, my name is Jonathan. Uh, obviously, um, you know, some of the identities that I that like are near and dear to my heart is like I'm a husband, I'm a brother, I'm a son. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in San Diego, born and raised, um, but I live out in Long Beach now in California, uh, but I still will you know, hold true that San Diego is one of the best cities in the world. It's just, it's just incredibly dope. Um, but yeah, I'm also uh, an equity minded organizational psychologist, uh, leadership and career coach, um, speaker, facilitator, um, and podcast. So, so I'm like multi, multi hyphenate, like to the max, I'm always doing all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. Um, but I also love basketball, love to hike, doing all these things. Um, but you know, I, I, 
for a long time, I've been like incredibly passionate about like work and, you know, staying busy, um, you know, doing stuff like that. I've been doing that, you know, oh my gosh, since I was a little kid. Uh, my mom always tries to tell me like, Jonathan, you always tried to have a job. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and so, um, you know, I started, you know, multiple little businesses of my own cutting lawns and stuff like that. Like I'd be having those things looking immaculate. Um, but as far as like my career getting started and, and, and going was, um, was after I graduated college, after I made the decision not to go to law school, um, I started working at my alma mater, um, as an admissions counselor. And it was there where I like kind of cut my teeth on figuring out, you know, how organizations function, um, or should I say not function? Um, Cause it was really a toxic work environment, toxic work culture um, that just like used and abused people, just treated them like, you know, pe- uh, bolts in a, what is that? Cogs in a machine, yeah, essentially. Cogs in a machine, yep. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, there was a, it was my first job out of college, my first, like, you know, big kid job, you know, and I didn't know any better. And what I didn't realize that was like incredibly unhealthy was like to see a churn of like 64 people um, in a, a span of two years in a, a department that's only made up of 15 people. Like that's not Whoa. good. And so, you know, um, and so like I'm over here, you know, thinking I'm terrible. Like, I can't believe, you know, yeah. Like feeling like I'm lucky to be in that lucky to be working. Right. When, when in fact, like management wasn't there up to snuff. Um, and it really was like top, top management, um, uh, that wasn't caring for their people. And so instead of going to law school, I decided to go and get my master's in organizational psychology, because I was like, there has to be some way, some reason why, um, folks will come in happy, joyful, loving what they do, loving the place that they work at. And legitimately six months later, um, having to quit. Otherwise, uh, they, I mean, uh, going to see a therapist, all these different things, there's like, there's reasoning behind that. And so that's actually what really started my journey on, you know, HR, talent management, employee engagement, um, more specifically in equity, uh, inclusion and diversity work. And so that's what, that's what I've been doing now, you know, I'm pushing, you know, 10 years later. So, um, it's been, it's been a really wild ride. Um, I've done a lot of different things, uh, in my career. So thank you so much for breaking it down and letting everyone know where you come from. And, um, it's very similar that journey I've had, you know, when you first come out of school, you you start, you get your first real job and you come in and you're excited, but then like six months later or like just a few months later, you're already looking for something else. And, you know, when you, like you said, it's because a lot of times you don't know, like you you don't, like for me, no one ever told me like corporate America is very new because no one in my family ever worked in these spaces, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and navigating those spaces are very, it's very difficult, especially if you don't come from, from that background. And I remember going in and just not knowing how to talk to people or like, there's a lot of things that go unsaid. Yeah. Those politics. Yeah. A lot of things unsaid and ideas of professionalism that culturally just were not aligned to my experiences. And I struggled really hard with that. And there was jobs where I was just like, I gotta go. And I didn't really at the time take it as I have to go because this environment is toxic. I just mm-hmm. felt like maybe there was something wrong with me and I need to go to go to where, you know, maybe where I could find something that's right. And then over time, of course, I realized that 
it's a lot of toxicity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that so hard. Just like thinking it's all, all me, me, me. And, you know, I went from working in that department to working in another department in the same organization. And by the time I left, I was like, I, this, there's no way that it's me. Um, Cause at the, at that time I had finished my organization or my master's degree studying organizational organizations and culture and all that stuff. And I was like, all right, it's definitely not me. <laughs> at yeah. this point, it's, it's definitely, you know, and they're still having that organization is still, you know, kicking yeah. and moving and still, but still burning out people. Um, and still like, I mean, I, I know people, I'm in a group of folks we talk mess about the place. Cause it's just like, it's just toxic and it just doesn't make any sense how it's still operational, but, yeah. um, but anyways, yeah, I totally relate to that. So um, with your, with your work, so you got your master's degree and you started to see that these spaces, you realized that it wasn't you. And I, I like every Black person that I talk to who's either a content creator or, you know, in these spaces, there comes a point where you realize, okay, it's not me. These, this is, these are spaces that I'm moving in that are not really meant for me and I'm trying to navigate. Mm -hmm. So what did you try to do to, you know, bring that DNI lens into the work that you do in the organizations that you work for after, you know, once you realize that that was the issue? Absolutely. I think, you know, um, I've always been somebody who has just been always curious, you know what I'm saying? A little bit nosy, I would say too. Um, and so like when I transitioned even to, to my first organization, you know, with all this knowledge I had, uh, I just started asking questions. Um, I started bringing up stuff and pushing back, um, not super hard, but just like, have you thought about this? Like legitimately. Um, and, and what I, again, what I didn't realize at that time, cause I was new as far as like the diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice, like in the workplace. Cause I was like, you know, at that time I was doing like mentorship, speaking at like different, you know, conferences and stuff like that. But like applying the work in this capacity, like where it's like, oh, I'm not just like teaching people. I'm actually like, you know, doing it in a corporate setting. Um, it, it was, it was wild. Like the responses that I would get, I would, I, you know, just ask questions. Hey, why are we taking this data? Why are we taking this data? Where is this thing from? Um, this seems really outdated. Um, maybe we should do this. Uh, I don't think that like, if we're interviewing this person, that this is a, an appropriate question to ask. Um, having a lot of questions with my director uh, of HR um, and just like bringing it up and being honest about it. And the, and the responses were just like all of these questions of like, well, why does race matter? Why does this matter? Why does this matter? And I'm like, what is going on? It matters. And, yeah, it does. <laughs> and, 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 and I was just, I just shrugged it off. Cause I'm like, all right, well, I'll teach you, you know what I'm saying? Um, which now I'm like, bro, don't do that. But, but before I'm like, I'll break it down. But then like, these would turn into like, th I'm not even joking. Just three hour conversations about me oh. explaining race um oh, and the God. dynamics of race within society um and her trying to explain to me uh this white woman trying to explain to me how you know her dad flies a confederate flag and that's not racist um he's just from tennessee you know what i'm saying <laughs> um and just it's just it's just the wild to me flag. yeah and so um and so i'm like you, like for those kinds of persons it took me a while to realize like those kinds of conversations are not I'm not willing to have those. There's the people that I know that are willing to have those. I'm not willing to do that and put myself in positions like that. But 
yeah, it, it was just that just like bringing up and asking questions. That's how it honestly, that's how it started. Cause I had all this knowledge and I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. This is what stu- studies tell me. This is what even my own survey that I did mm-hmm. tells me um, that was nationwide. And so you're not doing that. So this is why you're getting the results you're getting. And then, you know, me were there, calling, yeah. were, sorry to interrupt. Was there ever like pushback? So I know you said, you know, you're doing that, that conversation. And that's a lot of emotional labor, which is yes. why boundaries are so important um, in the workplace. But was there ever... Were you ever labeled like a troublemaker? Were you ever considered someone that wasn't grateful? Did you ever f- receive any negativity for trying to come in and challenge the status quo? And if you so, want- where would you find me? Who was giving you that negativity? You want to know something? I have never experienced any outright like stuff like that, which okay. is wild to me. Um, because I've, I mean, <laughs> I've said I've been upfront and like vocalized. Wow. Um, but what has constantly happened to me is like opportunities were taken. Like I've found myself like being micromanaged. I found myself not being believed, um, gaslit, um, just like all these different things isolated within organizations that I've been a part of. And just like, it, 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 it was like a slow thing. It was very slow. Uh, um, my voice being taken away, um, not being invited to meetings. It was stuff like that. And it was just like, this is odd. It was really, really odd. Um, and it's again, very indirect. it's very indirect. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it was, again, I thought it was like, I must be doing something wrong or I just missed it in my email or, you know what I'm saying? Cause I'm like, I'm doing good work. You know, that's, that's how I, that's how I perceived it. But you know, it was a while later where I'm like, it's again, it's not me. It, it really isn't me. This is this organization. It's, it's, you know, they are, they are, they enjoy the anti-blackness that they are perpetuating. They, yeah. they, they want to uh, keep these norms and, and the status quo um, where it's at. And, um, yeah. and they just want me to shut up and, you know, just do your job. That's do how my I, job. Yeah. yeah. And I speak about that too. Like a lot of times the pushback isn't like in your face, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes they're not going to just, because, you know, people, it's they, they, they try to be slicker about it. They don't want to just yeah. say, okay, well, Jonathan, we're not going to promote you because you run your mouth too much. Mm-hmm. What they do is they put barriers. So I always tell people that when it comes to black people in the workplace, the goalposts always recede. So like the closer yep. you get to it, the further it moves back. You know, yep. you've got all these qualifications, you've done everything that they ask you to do. And when it's finally time to claim it, then all of a sudden, a mistake that you may have made maybe six months ago, they bring it back up. You know, well, Jonathan, you made this mistake six months ago. We don't think you're ready for leadership. Or Jonathan, yep. you know, somebody felt like, you know, you have an attitude or they feel like you're not approachable. We can't move you forward. Like these were all, I, I know for me, these were things that were told to me when mm-hmm. it was time for me to ascend. And then all of a sudden, like a little, like a mistake that really wasn't a big deal that we had gotten over that I had forgot about. That's, you know, they, they coming out of the woodwork with all these different things and trying to hold you back. So um, I always tell people just just know that it's going to come. It's not going to necessarily be direct. Yeah. A lot of times your treatment is going to be very indirect, but you know it when you feel it. Oh, you know, yeah. You, you know when you experience it. Oh, yeah. Because like realistically, like if it was a big issue that that like, you know, I had an attitude with a customer or something like that or like, you know. I don't respond timely to emails or something like that. That should be a coaching moment. We yeah. should have a conversation. My direct supervisor, we should be working on that or something like that. Right. And it and it's it, it's like a, 
like you working that out in the relationship of, of your job. Right. Um, but you're bringing this stuff up six months later, a year later. Um, and it just so happens to prevent me from getting this promotion, but like, that's on you. You know what I'm saying? Like I I'm qualified to move up. I'm qualified to do this stuff and like, don't get it twisted. I feel like there are people that, you know, sometimes you just ain't good at the job. (laughs) Like sometimes you just need to find another. Yeah. Sometimes you need to find another spot. Um, so you got to like have a community around you to like, Hey, can you gut check this for me? Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, but like in the circumstances I'm talking about, like it was like easy work, like easy, easy work. Like it's like a level one recruiter, like eight slash HR generalist. Yeah. And I'm doing this work recruiting for like entry level roles. Um, and I had like two years of experience of like student recruitment, which is not that far off from, um, from, from that, from that role. Um, there was obviously granted things that I need to learn and, and, you know, ATS systems and all that stuff, um, which I was more than willing to learn. But the fact of the matter is, is like, you're going to keep me from moving on to doing other higher level, um, recruiting positions because like, you want to keep me recruiting entry-level roles for a year when I, I got it down pat, um, per the people, the hiring managers that I'm sending these folks to, um, within the first, like three or four months. Like, I don't, I don't understand, you know what I'm saying? And so it, it, it was, uh, it was really like, at a certain point, I'm like, you are literally holding me back. You're literally holding me back from, from doing more, better, bigger things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I said. I did a series on this podcast, maybe the first two seasons about pips. Mm. And so we interviewed, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yep. We interviewed black people, um, including a woman, her name was Shamika. She wrote the article about um, how pips are used as a weapon against black professionals. And one of the common themes is what you mentioned, where managers are supposed to have one-on-one meetings with their employees. They're supposed to be proactive and address issues as they come up so that we can work and grow. But one of the things that we were seeing was that managers weren't addressing issues until it was time for promotion or if they wanted to fire someone. Then all of a sudden, you know, all of these things are coming out. And, you know, oftentimes these employees were blindsided. It was like, well, I didn't know I had an issue with my work, or I didn't know that these were issues. You never told me about that. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of their way of kind of positioning themselves to justify why this person was not going to get a promotion or a raise or why they were looking to terminate that person. So um, that is something that we've spoken about and how Black prep, how black people can prepare and protect themselves in the workplace when dealing with managers like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to answer you because we both work in HR. We both do recruiting and other aspects of HR. Um, in the work that you've done and the experiences that you have, what are some of the issues that you are seeing? How do you, how do I phrase this? What are HR's role or has been, what has been their role when it comes to um, some of these issues that we talked about, the toxicity in organizations or, you know, the fact that people churn in and churn out? What, what do you feel HR's responsibility has been with that traditionally or just in your own experience? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, you know, HR, human resources is, is not a place that's like for the benefit of employees. They really are for the benefit of the organization. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, so obviously they're, they're there to like have some level of confidentiality, some level of like, you know, discreteness when it comes to like employee to employee stuff, employee relations, all that stuff. But like at the end of the day, 
when we're talking about like diversity, equity, inclusion, um, different things like that, uh, like they're, they typically will align themselves with the organization because at the end of the day, they got to protect the organization. They are meant yeah. to enforce laws. And if those yeah. laws are inherently flawed, if those laws are inherently racist, if those laws are inherently, inherently sexist or anything like that, well, then they're just perpetuating a system and there's only so much that they can do within that you know, handbook or rules or whatever. And so what you witness is a lot of like HR departments doing a ton of harm or perpetuating harm yeah. because they literally are ill-equipped um, to, to even protect employees as, as best as they can, right? Um, and it, and it, it's incredibly frustrating too, right? Because like you think that the people that are in those places and I'm not going to say this about everybody, but like that, like you care about the employees, you care about the people there, you care about like their, um, what is best for them. Yeah. And sometimes they just got their hands tied. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they're, they have to just enforce the rules. Um, which is why I would say like, you know, you inadvertently do more harm than good. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's just incredibly frustrating to, to see. I mean, how many stories do we have to like, could we tell um, whether it be like, whether we pull something from the news, YouTube, um, our own networks, right. Of just like s- stories after stories after stories of like human resources, just not getting it, getting it right. And I even remember my own time um, when I was in, in HR and people would tell me stuff and I'm like, we don't even have a rule for this. Like we, we don't even have a, we don't have a rule for this. Um, and I, I, all I could do is like, I am so sorry. And like, when they leave, <laughs> when they leave, I, um, I'm just like, I don't blame you for leaving. Like, that's the best I could say, you know what I'm saying? Cause my hands are tied. Um, and that's the reason, another reason why I had to get out of HR. Cause I'm like, there's only so much I could do. It's just like, there's nothing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I could. That yeah. I, could see and fix I it. think it's important that people understand what is HR, what HR is, and what is not. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, like when I did the PIP series, and then like even now, I always get like DMs, like a thousand DMs from people who have issues with their company, and they go to HR and they really believe that HR is going to be an advocate for them. And I, I tell people all the time, I said HR, they take care of the company. And yeah. whatever form that takes, it may it may be protecting you mm-hmm. to in order to protect company liability, or it yep. may not. It just really depends on the laws and how things fall and what happens and all that good stuff. But you have to understand that if you are looking for an advocate, you need to get a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> you, need to, yep. you need you need to get an outside team because that is not what HR is for. Yeah, and people get frustrated when they go to HR and they're like help me. And you're like, okay, I have to go, I have to work within a certain of uh, these boundaries of mm-hmm. these laws and these policies that are holding me back. There's really not much of anything that I can do. And so, like you said, people get frustrated and it's quick. I know for me, one of the biggest frustrations, I, I have so many frustrations, but yeah. <laughs> I used to work in, I reported into HR managers who were very problematic, not necessarily because of the, the laws and the rules and all that stuff, just them yeah. being racist and yep. just, just like white women, most all the women I work with, white women, um, just being racist. And then I'm like, well, who do I go to mm-hmm. when HR itself is the problem? Yep. And, and that is incredibly hard to deal with. Um, 
And I know you you do work with BNI and uh, you know those different things. And I would love to talk with you about like HR and DNI and how do you feel about those two departments working together? Because now you have companies that are trying to integrate DNI work for the mm-hmm. first time. Some companies have been doing it for a while, some haven't. Um, I've seen some companies that are I, and then I've yep. seen some companies that I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so in your opinion, I guess like how do you feel about the the rise or the rise of DNI and organizations? Of course, why is it important? And then the, the problematic relationships that some companies have when it comes to trying to integrate that HR and DNI component. I know that's such a heavy. That's so topic. much, so that's much, so much, but so much. Yeah, let's kind but, of take it one step at a time for folks. <laughs> absolutely. So I would even say, like, even just to piggyback off of what you said earlier, it's like there is a lot of problematic things that happen within HR, right? And and um, I think we when we were talking offline. You know, I had an HR director who said, like, if they if they have a name I can't pronounce, I'm not going to interview them. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't even interview them. Like, wow. said that. I mean, me and the other person in the room, like, she wasn't completely, you know, I'm gonna say woke, but like, she knew that that was wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm just like, there, I'm, I, I flabbergasted. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, that in and of itself is like just a small like picture or window um, of like what HR has historically been, right? Like there are gatekeepers and oftentimes there are white women who are gatekeepers of the organization, protectors of the organization, um, who, who enforce laws and everything like that. And so I get defensive or I am apprehensive when an organization says our D our diversity and inclusion initiatives office is going to be solely under, um, HR. Because I don't think, because as we've already shared, HR does not have employees' best interests at heart, right? Yeah. And and I've started to err on the side of like, I don't really trust the words um, of organizations when they say, when they say they're going to do something, even if they have a, uh, you know, uh, how, however money, much money they invest, I need to see action. I need to see like these companies and organizations, uh, these, these initiatives get, um, autonomy, like authority, like decision-making power, like what's going on. Um, cause you can drop any fancy worded, um, sentence of your support of diversity inclusion. And I just, I'm skeptical. And so when we, t- so when we have like these DNI departments, um, I think they can work collaboratively yeah. with HR departments. Mm-hmm. I think that they, they, they can work uh, coincide and coexist with them. I don't think that they should be one in the same, um, because like a true blue like or uh, DNI professional is going to be able to call out some of the racism thing, the race, uh, systemic racism that that is, mm-hmm. um, interpersonally be able to speak to not just the racism, the sexism, the um, genderism, um, the ableism and things like that, um, the wide spectrum of, of diversity and inclusion, and really bring those things to light and create initiatives that focuses on the people, right? And so I feel like those were true advocates of, of uh, and championing for, um, for uh, employees. So I mean, and that's just scratching the surface. I mean, yeah. if we, we could spend that, that's like two, three, four episodes dive into, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A whole, like, it's a just, whole series. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just yeah. a lot. 
Yeah, it it's is just a lot. lot. Yeah. yeah, DNI, DNI definitely should not be under HR in any means because then it pretty much renders it completely mute and useless. And it, again, DNI needs to be able to be its own functioning entity so that it can check HR because HR is, like you said, the gatekeepers. And I've yeah. talked to people. And they said one of the biggest problems when it comes to bringing talent into an organization starts with human resources and talent acquisition falls under that. Mm -hmm. It starts there in terms of how we recruit people, recruiters, Mm -hmm. like recruiters. There's so many bad recruiters, like recruiters who don't have any relationships with any organizations or different, you know, different groups of people. They just recruit from the same schools or the same pools of talent. And then you have HR. So it's, it's, it definitely needs to be separate. And, you know, when that woman said, I don't hire people who names I can't pronounce. There's so many people like that in HR. And and just like, I remember I had a manager, he wasn't in HR, but um, he was like, I I don't want to hire anybody um, from certain neighborhoods like certain zip codes. And so he used to like Google, like the zip codes. And that's why I always tell people, keep your address off your resume. Cause mm. like this happens and people didn't believe me. I'm like, and I posted it and then everybody started commenting. I'm like, this is real. Mm-hmm. Like we, we need to have that. And I think another issue, and we talked about this offline too, is that many in HR and many leaders period don't have emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to lead. And I think there is a difference between being a manager and being a leader. I know I use the word interchangeably. Yeah. But um, yeah, I want, yeah, let's speak to that. Let's talk about that emotional intelligence work that you do, because I think that's so important. I think that's a huge gap that many leaders don't have is emotional intelligence. I don't think most people even know what it means. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll I'll paraphrase, but like emotional intelligence is, is different from like, you know, like, uh, like knowledge or something along those lines where it's like book smarts, right? Where you, right. you can read a book, learn the, learn those kinds of skills. Like emotional intelligence has a lot to do with like these soft skills, right? So um, empathy, um, compassion, listening, active listening, um, engaging with somebody on like a real like human level. And, and plenty of studies show that like your, the higher your EQ, the better leader you are because you're going to be able to connect um with those that are on your team you know what i'm saying and 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 a manager is somebody who just like dictates next steps um who and and there are some professions that like yo we need a manager in this role um but i think what 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 has happened and what typically does happen is like people get promoted based off of these hard skills you know um how many widgets can you make how uh what are what what is your productivity like um, but like you get into a leadership role, quote unquote, or a manager role and title, and like you can't you can't lead. You just can basically teach somebody how to do it, and then you get frustrated <laughs> as to reason why they can't do something because like, oh, I, when I was in your position, I could do like this this many in an hour. But like a an, an emotionally intelligent, a high emotionally intelligent leader would actually be able to coach that person and bring the best out of them. So that way, every time they showed up to work, they would show up willing and willing and able to do their very best. Right. And if they can't, then I, they might honestly just be on the wrong seat. I'm not going to sit here in front like, you know, everybody, you know, just because you got that job, you're, you're doing a great job at it. Right. Um, sometimes like, hey, this just might not be it for you or, you you know, you're just going to just, you know, you're just going to keep working at it. But um, 
but yeah, it, it, that, that's another thing I'd be speaking on a lot when I talk about like leadership development, talent development is, is the necessity for emotional intelligence, necessity for bringing like just being human, uh, human to human. Right. Um, I, I recall, um, and remember like, you know, I went from managing one person to managing a team of six, um, during COVID and well, during the pandemic, we're working from home and like, there was all kinds of stuff that happened. Like I had, you know, people on my team get COVID. I had, um, somebody on my team lost their husband, um, to COVID. I had, um, you know, my team getting yelled at from honestly, gigantic adults who acted like toddlers over meaningless stuff into like, and also having, you know, sites closed and all these different things. Um, and so like, uh, one of the things that I pride myself on is, is, is really like being compassionate, having a level of empathy and being willing to listen, um, to my team, because if I was just managing them, um, that would have been a horrible, horrible experience for them. Um, and I, I'm just thankful that like, I've invested the time to be an emotionally intelligent person and, and continue to invest the time because it's just so crucial. Um, so crucial, especially nowadays, because people, people ain't going to take that, you know, oh, no, um, no. In this job market. Oh no. No, you you talk to me crazy or like um or Is like young I, generation too coming yes, up? Oh no. Yes, they don't play. They're like, you know, like I know people who uh you know, these 20 early 20 somethings, they're like, yeah, I, I want a job and I make a, that's a stable job, that's great, that I have work life balance, all this other stuff. But if I call out and you don't let me call out, I will go find another job that's gonna respect me and probably pay me more. Right. And so it's just yeah, it's it's just wild. I've I've seen other you know people talk to me and they're like, well, like you should be grateful to have a job, and I'm like, should okay, I? well you're gonna keep that up and you're not and 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 you're you're just gonna keep your churn up too. So, yeah. um, it's it's that's, just really wild. That's definitely really a generational thing too, because my parents mm. were very much like, should be grateful you have a job. You know, you got problems. Like when they found that I was doing this podcast, and it was, it was Jessica, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like. This is the work that I'm doing. And they was like, just, you know, you, you, you make good money. That's how, you know, old black people. Mm-hmm. So you make good yep. money and just don't, <laughs> don't mess <laughs> you it up. You make good money. Yep. Good money. Just don't mess it up. Just what are you doing? And like, I'm like, look, I have this, this these are the issues that we need to talk about. Like we got to yes. talk about the things that are impacting people. And now you have, you know, what, what they call the generation. I'm a millennial. What did they call the one that's coming up? Um, oh, Gen Z. Gen yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a millennial too. Yeah, Gen Z. Yeah. Gen Z. So the Gen Z generation, they have taken what the millennials are doing and they've seen what has happened to us. And they're just like, I am not going to put up with a manager talking to me out the side of their neck. No, nope. I am not going to put up. Like if I if I put in a PTO request and if you approve it and then take it back, I've had that happen. I'm still going on PTO. Like they will tell managers in their face, like I, I work to live. I don't, what, what I don't live to work. Yeah, I don't live I, to work. I, I, I will walk out of the job so fast. And now you see people quitting all over the place because they realize that they're, first of all, you can always find another job. There's always yep. something better. And I'm, people are not going to put up with it, which is why leaders really need to have emotional intelligence. Companies need to have that training available because like you said, a lot of people get promoted, not because they're good. Sometimes people get promoted because they've just been in the job long enough. Yep. That's another one. Tenure. Yeah. Yep. They just they outlasted everybody. And so now let's let's move Jonathan up. He's been here for 10 years. Never mind the fact that he doesn't know how to manage people. He doesn't know how to talk to people. He's just been here. And that has really screwed up a lot of companies. And yeah. 
has con contributed to a lot of turnover. So with the yeah. teaching that you do on emotional intelligence, how what has the response been to that when you yeah. talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. When I, yeah. When I talk to people, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking about like leadership development and, and, and enter into this component of like, you know, emotional intelligence, I think, I think overall it's received positively. Right. But the pushback that I get when, especially when I start talking about power is, um, and sharing decision-making and all these different things, um, is like, well, um, well, like somebody has to lead, somebody has to manage, somebody has to make decisions. And it just, it's just like this, it is, it, it's, a, a, it's a, a frustrating concept to try and like communicate because like, I'm not saying that there's not a decision-making person. I'm saying that like this top down leadership that says you have to do everything that I say, don't push back, don't ask questions, just do it, shut up and do your job. Is it's just not going to cut it anymore. Um, and it's just this like old, old school style of like yeah, work that like yeah. did not. And, and quite honestly, it's kind of like a Eurocentric kind of like way of doing it because it's just not how more um, uh, communal societies and communal cultures work. They, they, they work as, as far as like um, uh, shared sense of power, shared sense of, of, of authority and, and coming together in, in a community. And so like, there has to be some kind of like middle ground, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, because like, it just doesn't, just doesn't work. And I, I always, I, I get frustrated, but I always laugh when I think about that. Cause I'm like, you ain't never had a bad manager. You never had a bad manager that you knew for a fact that they were, that th it was a bad decision. And like, you tried to tell them and explain it to them and you had to do it anyway. And then you saw them fail um, yeah. more times than not. It was a male because like, we be doing yeah. stuff like that you know what i'm saying yeah, so yeah. it's it, it it's really it's really funny people don't get on people don't push back on me when i talk about emotional intelligence because you can vibe with that like empathy you know listen to your people um like uh, encourage them empower them um people get really start to get apprehensive when i start talking about power and um leaders divesting from power um in, in a way and they start getting a little bit uncomfortable but like that's yeah. that's where the real change happens you know what i'm saying yeah. and a high intelligent a high emotionally intelligent person is going to recognize like ask what their team thinks about decision that's about to happen that's going to impact them right yeah. um because like that's the part that's missed you know these top-down decisions happen and the people that are on the front line gotta they they're the ones that are getting yelled at they're yeah. the ones that have to like sacrifice and do all these different things yeah. um and and it's just frustrating to me i'm like i I, I mean, I wouldn't want to work for you. If you're, if you're telling me this, I would never want to work for you. And I low key feel bad or high key feel bad for those who do, because like, you don't care about them. You just want to see results, which I think a lot of times, you know, at this point, no more. And emotional intelligence is something that can be increased. It doesn't matter your age. Like you can always work on um, leveling up your emotional intelligence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So. I like what you say was Eurocentric because there is a very white Eurocentric ideal of professionalism, which is mm -hmm. something that was always catching me up. And, and then also the ideal of authority. And when you come from communities and that are communal and when they like, they, they don't say I, but they say we, mm -hmm. that's very hard to come from that. And then come into these spaces where managers like, this is what we got to do. And even when you know they wrong, and I've been there where a manager mm -hmm. has told me something and I was like, that's, you know, he, you know, that's not right. Well, let me tell you, and then they, 
they get offended because they feel like they the manager and mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be beneath them. And and then it blows up and then I'm standing there and I'm like, well, I'm, you know, it's like when I was a kid and I did something I screwed up and my mom was just like, well, now you got to fix it because I'm not yep. because I told you not to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that came with a whooping. Yeah. <laughs> Other times that came with you just being yelled at. You just be happy yep. that you got yelled at. Yeah. But yep. for, you know, and but now, like you said, this new generation and even people like I've seen a shift even with like older people too, to some extent. I think people are finally realizing mm-hmm. that they have a lot more authority and control yep. than they realize. And you're starting to see, um, and, and I hope to see more of this unions. They start to yep. talk like the unionization of different things, like what happened out east, I believe, in yep. Amazon. Yep. Um, they unionized the warehouse, I believe it was out in New York. Yeah. Um, no one thought it could be done because they tried to do it in Alabama a year or two before and it got shut mm-hmm. down. Um, and then they, are, you, they just unionized a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see these. And this is led by a lot of young people um, who are working in collaboration with other groups of people who are like, no, like our labor matters, our voice matters, our opinions matter. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to just take it anymore from the top down from these guys who are not on the front lines um i remember and i don't know if you remember this this um this was a few years back where starbucks did this whole race together thing Mm, mm. uh, where you can talk about systemic racism as you get coffee yeah remember that i remember that that was a great example of like top down bs because yeah. it came from this white CEO, and I guess he means well, even yeah. though most people on the board are white. But you didn't ask the baristas, you didn't ask them their opinion about that. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I, I mean, I do, I talk about race and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I just want my coffee, bro. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't ask, want to talk about this with you. You didn't ask anybody how, how, first of all, Everybody's not equipped to have those conversations. Everybody yep. don't want to have those conversations. I certainly don't want that while I'm getting my coffee. But that was to me just like one of those prime examples of leadership making this blanketed decision and then it just backfired mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't take into, they didn't answer anybody how they felt or did it make any sense or there's a better way to do it. Um, we're just going to roll this out. Yeah. So I, I think emotional leadership and I really love seeing the rise of unions. I love seeing what's happening right now. Um, I hope to see more of it. I love that people are like, I don't want to be in the office full time anymore. Mm-hmm. Or flexibility. Like you're starting just to see this shift and companies are like, some companies are anyway, waking up to that. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and that's, that's, that goes along with even like the conversations around DNI and i and, and working with HR, right? Because it's like, again, I've seen where like HR is like, all right, well, we got to come into the office. Well, why? why? Like, why do we need to come into the office? Because mm-hmm. like, I'm actually more productive at home yep. and I'm also able to handle all my business. So why? Well, we need to, we just need to. It's like, what? You know? know. Um, and it's, it's, it, I think, I think with the pandemic, having forcing a level of innovation that we haven't seen in decades mm-hmm. uh, within the workplace and workplace culture, it's like, yeah, you're starting to realize like, oh shoot, like people are going to just quit and leave. And some of them like ain't got another job lined up. And like, they would rather like hurt for a little bit 
and find another job and 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 go out there and do it, then then work for you. Like that should be telling about your organizational yep. Yep. workplace. Um, and uh, and some people are like, I've seen on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. There's some good parts about LinkedIn, and then some wild parts about LinkedIn <laughs> that, that are just like that. Just like, well, how did you get this takeoff? And then it's just it's just catching fire. But it's just like, there's so many jobs available. I can't believe people aren't going to work. They're just being lazy. No, they're just sick of y'all's crap, bro. Like, that's what it really is. It's never um, been about not wanting to work. Never. It's never, never been, been about, about it's, it's about not working. You got people who was working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and still not being able to make enough money to pay rent. If yes. you got me working 40, first of all, people, I just don't really believe in the 40 hour work week anyway. 40 hours is too much, bro. 40 hours is actually a lot. That that (laughs) is a lot. And for years, people thought that was okay. I'm like, I working from home. I've been able to finish my job. If I shut down, I can start Monday through Wednesday and like I'm done the rest of the week. And before that, I used to have to BS my way all day. You got me in from seven in the morning, four at night. And this is ridiculous. Yeah. And if you ask somebody to work that many hours and they still not making enough money to pay bills, to, to pay for the basics, that's mm-hmm. the problem. So you start seeing people quit, especially when those uh, unemployment checks and stimulus start hitting mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And then even after all of that stopped, people weren't coming back because like, yeah. why would I work? I'm not making enough money to even live or work it and then don't have any health insurance or any yep. benefits, can't take off. Or get, like people couldn't take off to go to the doctor because they didn't have any PTO. Yeah. It's not about not wanting to work. It's people tired of working for these crap jobs, mm-hmm. crap managers for HR talking about some, let's come back into the office. I told my my job, I'm like, I would never come back to a time ever. Mm-hmm. I come maybe once a week. Yeah. Like, I like working from home. Yep. And then just being a black person, I just like not even being in those spaces anymore like that. Yeah. All yeah. those microaggressions and just dealing with people, I just peace. Yeah. I like being in my house and I but the job is done nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many studies that I could just like break down and share as to like why the for a lot of like especially these corporate jobs, yeah. it's the 40 hour work week's obsolete. Um, you could even do like a four-day, four-day work week. Like so many studies that show that. Um now people will argue, uh, or even like why you should probably potentially have a hybrid, you know, uh, work kind of setting or fully remote. Like there are, there's so many things that are going to actually even come out that would even approve those things. Right. But it, it, it's really kind of frustrating where like, there's no data or research to back some of the decision-making that happens within organizations. It's just a rule that they say that they, they need to implement. Um, which again, goes back to even D and I like spaces, um, um, departments who have autonomy or separate from HR who can advocate for employees and say like, well, actually this is why this is important for some folks to be working from home, you know, um, and being in places and breaking that down. Cause like, it just misses. And there, I've seen organizations that have done it. I, there was one organization that I, that I follow, it's called Merit America. And they're doing a the four-day work week. Like it's official as of last week, I think, or a couple of weeks ago, they're doing four-day work weeks um, because they did a study and they found that their people were much more productive um, and actually much more ha- like happier and joy- um, uh, fulfilled 
working from home and having like a four day work week. And so um, there are plenty of places that are doing it or like listening to employees and actually being attentive to it. Um, but for organizations that are not, I'm just like, okay, I, I don't know how many signs you need. Um, we went through 2020, went through 2021. Um, 2022 is still, I don't know what to feel, but like there, there's case studies to look at of, of the, of, I want to say need, but of the possibility for this to work. So I think a lot of it's about control too. I think companies feel like if they can't see you or you're not at your office, then they can't really control and micromanage you. So then Mm -hmm. are you really working? Are you really worthy of being paid? And yeah, so we we have companies here in the Seattle area that are doing it the right way. Uh, one company in particular is in Gravity Payments. I actually follow the CEO's name. Is oh, Ed yes. Price. He's great. Yeah. yeah. And he pays everybody. Everyone gets, it doesn't matter where you start. I think it's like $70,000. People mm-hmm. probably get paid more, but no one gets paid under that. Yeah. And then um, it's full-time remote. I know he said he doesn't care about people coming into the office or not, you know, <laughs> he just, all yeah. he cares about is the work being done. So, you know, we can have, we can keep going on and on yeah, about, absolutely. <laughs> about DNI and, you know, griping about um, <laughs> HR all day. But, you know, like I said, that may have to be a part two and have you come back and, you know, break that down a little bit more. But um, this has been a really good conversation. I enjoyed having you on and, and, you know, learning more about your background and your, you know, your experience. So um, if anyone wants to connect with you, how will people find you? No, yeah, absolutely. Jessica, thank you again. I mean, like I said, it's like a dream come true coming on the show. So I really appreciate (laughs) you you. having me. Um, But uh, yeah, um, you can catch me. Uh, My website is commonculturecc.com. If you're interested in leadership and career coaching, I work with people just really understanding, kind of eliminating those boundaries between personal self and work self. So you can be your full self and and find a a job or a space or, or a level up um, in your career, uh, during that one-on-one work. I also do some some consulting with, um, talent management, employee retention and employee recruitment, um, on the consulting side. And I also do some, um, team development, uh, work there. Uh, and then I do some speaking engagements as well. So I, I go connect with, um, organizations and speak on these topics and whatnot as well. And then as well, I do a a podcast, it's real talk with Dumas podcast. You can find it on any of the platforms, but those are all ways you can find me. Just go to my website, connect with me, um, sign up for my, my newsletter. Um, just reach out to me. I would love to have a conversation if you're interested in, uh, working together or just chatting. I love a good coffee chat. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And everyone who's listening, you know, you can connect with him also on LinkedIn as well. So oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That about LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so LinkedIn is a great place to connect with people. And then, you know, his website and everything is out there as well. So then you can, you know, connect and follow with him. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another great episode here at Blackness in the Workplace, the podcast. As always, you can find us at www.blacknessintheworkplace.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All of our social media links are linked on our website. And you can go ahead and connect with us and engage with the content. Until next time, thank you, stay safe, and stay woke.